And then Loki says, it's adorable that you think you could possibly manipulate me. Eli, I genuinely couldn't care less about these superhero shows. I don't. don't take this from me, Tom. I have so little joy left to me in my life. I just want to talk about this fucking. Whoa, what's happening show. here? Oh, hey, Cecil, what did you do? Well, you know how today's episode's about Fordlandia? Yeah, that city in the jungle that Henry Ford made. Yeah, so I thought it'd be a perfect time to redo our production based on the Henry Ford model. Okay, uh, why all the new rooms? I, I have each room for each stage of production. We have a writing room, a joke room, a pre-production room, a recording room, a post-production room, and finally, a posting room. Yeah, and each section has its own specific function, perfectly tailored to each phase of production, completely optimized. Okay, why are half of these just bathrooms with, like, Everglade fanboat fans just in the ceiling? Well, most of our production hinges on Eli's potty breaks. It's true, it does. Well, I mean, it is efficient and all, but why all the anti-Semitic posters? We know Ford was an anti-Semite. Did you get a deal on all the original Fordlandia stuff in Brazil? Yeah, Cecil, I gotta be honest, this is all kind of hurtful. Hey, Cecil, I I ran out of tax to put up the rest of my poster collection. Where we put the rest of them? Yep, there it is. Yeah, tracks. Not not tracks, tax. No R, tax. Check the junk drawer, Heath. Got it. I don't like my character in this. Hello and welcome to Citation Needed, a podcast where we choose a subject, read a single article about it on Wikipedia, and pretend we're experts. Because this is the internet, that's how it works now. I'm Cecil, and I'll be selling you this used car of a podcast tonight, but I need my crack sales crew to help out. Introducing two guys in the crew that can convince you that you definitely need to pay for the undercoating, Noah and Tom. Shit, I could sell you nothing but the undercoating. <laughs> And I once resold nothing but the undercoating at a 20% markup to <laughs> Elon. The monster cables of car stuff right there. <laughs> also joining us. Put me through <laughs> Also joining us. Two guys. We use a different kind of dealer plate to make their way through college. Eli and... <laughs> hey, free oven warm cookies with a purchase of a quarter ounce or more of drugs is still the best business idea I've ever I can had. Confirm that, is a great that, idea. Is true. that is a fact. That's a great idea. So, yeah, so can I. Great or idea. just the drugs. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, patrons. This production <laughs> line is lubricated with your loose change. So if you'd like to learn how to pitch us a hundred pennies, be sure to stick around till the end of the show. And with that out of the way, tell us, Noah, what person, place, thing, concept, phenomenon, or event will we be talking about today? Fordlandia, Cecil. Great pick. Oh, wow. Such a good and pick. Eli <laughs> is reading this essay. So it's an essay about how Fords don't exist or how Fordlandia is a magical <laughs> land in Ford fiction. I don't know. <laughs> Dying to find out which one it is. Eli, what is Fordlandia? It's a town in Brazil that was originally founded by Henry Ford in hopes of locking down a source of rubber that couldn't be manipulated by the international Jew. And what? I know this almost goes without saying since this is an episode of Citation Needed, but it was a disaster of mismanagement and stupidity from the beginning to its ignominious end. Okay, well, where does the story of Fordlandia begin? Well, it starts with Henry Ford. Now, 
The common high school history version of Henry Ford goes something like this. Ford was a brilliant engineer that created the assembly line. Then he used the massive increase in productivity to sell cars cheaper than anyone ever else did ever before. And when he realized to his dismay that, fairly priced though they were, his employees still couldn't afford the cars they were building, he raised their wages to an unheard of amount. Then, later in life, he created the Ford Foundation, a beneficently endowed charitable organization dedicated to human welfare. And it probably won't surprise you to learn that pretty much every word of that is bullshit. Yeah. What we need is some critical racetrack theory. (laughs) 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 That joke is perfect. So good. I mean, all of that surprised me, but I'm white and I don't pay attention. So look, I know this isn't an essay about Henry Ford, but we got to tackle all the mythological bullshit about him for this story to make any sense. So let me take those claims one by one. The first is that he was a genius engineer. Henry Ford was an engineer, but nobody who knew him would accuse him of genius. In fact, his stupidity was once proven in a court of law. He made the mistake of suing the Chicago Tribune for libel when they printed an article that accused him of being, quote, incapable of thought. (laughs) And at one point point in the ensuing trial, (laughs) the Tribune's lawyers got him on the stand and asked him a bunch of fifth grade social studies questions <laughs> until the judge was satisfied that he was incapable of okay. thought. When you first so said that, great. I assumed the libel suit was stupid because a living human can't have a brain with zero activity. That's dumb. Like, it can't be libel if you say Henry Ford has no mass or volume because that's impossible. But it's even worse. They actually got him on the stand and he couldn't prove he was made of matter. Just hovering over a bathtub. Uh, It's weird that we're now talking about are you smarter than a fifth grader? Because when we started this essay, I thought we were talking about American Idol. Nice. (laughs) Nice. Oh, that's good. That's Uh, good. The assembly line. Ford didn't invent the assembly line. That was Ransom Olds, the guy the Oldsmobile is named after. He patented the concept back in 1901. And even then, it was just an incremental advance over what people were already doing. Now, the Ford Motor Company did revolutionize the concept, and many people would say that they perfected it. But there's no reason to believe that Henry Ford had anything to do with that. It was somebody else's idea to implement in his factory, and a team of people that didn't include him (laughs) perfected it. Okay, I got the perfect idea. We build stuff in steps along the time dimension. Somebody write that down. I invented that because now <laughs> it's me invention. That's an invention. It I invented it. So sad when your legacy is sucking the soul out of jobs that were already shitty, but it's all the worse <laughs> when your legacy is pretending to have done <laughs> it's that. Even right? Worse. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is throwing mad shade at like all of management, Eli. I mean, it had to be someone's <laughs> idea to put smart people in the room and lock the door and then take the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but here's the thing. There's reason to doubt that Henry Ford ever made a good decision in his life. His his factories and business practices legitimately revolutionized a lot of stuff in manufacturing, but his early partner and the general manager of his company, James J. Cousins, probably deserves the lion's share of the credit for that, if not all of it. So he and Henry Ford had a falling out in 1915, about a dozen years after the company started. After that, Ford Motor Company basically never made another innovation at all and just 
copied off the successful shit everybody else was doing. Yeah, it's called mm. podcasting nowadays. Thank you, the dollop. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, Eli, it, it sounds like James had all the focus and really wanted to escape. Meanwhile, Henry gets all the credit for picking up the tempo. Someone should really probe this story for more detail. Jesus Christ. Taurus. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Econoline 3. No. F series. Yeah. Fuck. There's also this tendency to paint Henry Ford as this great humanitarian. Star. Damn it. <laughs> for eventually deciding to pay his workers a living wage. And like, sure, that's nice of him and all, but. Before the famous pay hike, Ford had an employee turnover rate of 300%. Jesus. It was almost certainly cheaper to give his workers a raise than it was to keep recruiting and training new people so frequently. And sure, it was a big deal when it happened, but it was also almost definitely James Cousins' idea again. Yeah, McDonald's didn't invent $15 an hour this year. (laughs) That's not an invention they did. And if you think Henry Ford is some kind of benevolent employer, I should at least mention his social department. Uh, That was the part of his company that kept tabs on employees' personal lives so he could fire them for things like staying out too late or gambling. Well, we're in a world right now where employers routinely test your waste products to make value judgments about what you do in your off time. So, like, I I don't know that we can throw (laughs) shows at that one. (laughs) Yeah, now we just uh, decide if your shirt is too low cut on Instagram and then don't call you in for the interview. So it's, wait. (sighs) Yeah. I also, I need to shit on Ford's charitable work. So the Ford Foundation was started by his son, not him, and Henry Ford who was one of the richest men in the world at the time, endowed it with a whopping $25,000. I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> really? half a million bucks in today's money, but the dude was worth over a billion dollars in then's money. So that's like 2% of 1% of his money. <laughs> <laughs> See, that, that's how you know I did this essay, because the math is pretty close to correct. <laughs> <laughs> Two percent's like thirty percent today. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> it all scales. You know, billionaires are a social good, Eli. And the more of them that strap themselves to unregulated rockets and shoot themselves into space, the better. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, if he dies, that joke will be so much funnier. Oh, oh by the time this comes out, yeah. he might. He oh, might. Man. Do hope. it for the bit, man. Do it. Do for it. The bit. <laughs> Wear a little mask that says Dogecoin on it while you die. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one thing you might have heard about Henry Ford that's true is that he was a vicious anti-Semite. Interestingly enough, one of the first things that appears under the anti-Semitism tag on his Wikipedia page is the fact that some of his best friends are black. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, yeah, yeah, it's true. Sammy Davis Jr. is my best friend. (laughs) Yup, and it is true. Ford was hiring black people at a time when most major corporations weren't, but it still seems weird to me to open an anti-Semitism section with a quick list of minorities he didn't hate. Yeah. (laughs) Also, his lack of racism is a bit overplayed because, yeah, he hired African-Americans, but only for menial jobs. He also funded the teaching of square dancing in American schools so that he could discourage white kids from listening to black music. which he thought was being used to corrupt American youths by the international Jew. 
Uh, yeah. What I'm saying uh, is, I'm going <laughs> to say international Jew so much in this essay, you're going to think I'm having a visiting cousin. But it's just uh, it's so often. You know, I feel like the square dancing thing is reason enough to turn this whole narrative on its head, but, you know, also anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. too, you know, that yeah. as well. So one of the first things he did when he became a gazillionaire but was... square dancing feels worse. It just it feels, feels worse. worse. I don't know why. Yeah. Square dancing is the opposite of critical race theory. I feel like those are... <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, one of the first things he did when he became a gazillionaire was buy his own newspaper because he thought the other newspapers weren't taking the threat of the international Jew seriously enough. <laughs> that, yeah, that paper was the Dearborn Independent and Ford would run it for eight years, even though it was losing money hand over fist the entire fucking time. The paper was just filled with these long, rambling screeds about how terrible and dangerous the international Jew is, along with extensive lists of stuff they were ruining. He also, unsurprisingly, reprinted the notoriously anti-Semitic hoax, The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Okay, so fun side note on this newspaper. At first, he tried to create a journalism assembly line where, like, one writer would put in all the facts and then pass it along to the humor guy who would then what? pass it along to the... Yeah, yeah, no. It's, eventually, the editor was like, what is this, a fucking episode of Citation Needed? <laughs> but for a while, he tried that. Hey, you can't write fun facts about an essay you wrote, Noah. <laughs> he, yeah, can he right? write fun facts about his own essay? I need a value judge here. I thought that was a fun fact. I don't know what, it, I don't know what the rule should be, but I thought fun. So in Germany, the most anti-Semitic of Ford's tirades in The Independent were collected together and then issued out as a four-volume set called, you guessed it, The International Jew, The World's <laughs> Foremost Problem. Foremost Problem. The foremost. At, at the, I wonder uh, what he thought was second and third in problems <laughs> so, in the world right after The International Jew. Icelandic Jew. So Heinrich Himmler declared that Ford was, quote, one of our most valuable, important and witty fighters, end quote. Yikes. Yeah. He was also the only American that received a favorable mention in Mein Kampf. Oh, uh, I should have saved my yikes. Woof. I should have yeah, saved it. You got two shout outs in that one. Yep. And during the Nuremberg trials, oh my God. several prominent what? Nazis cited the international Jew as the second most influential book after Mein Kampf. <laughs> <Fuck hell. laughs> That's another shout That's out, really. fucking bananas. But weird little thing. I love that the prosecution at Nuremberg was like, hey, uh, apropos of nothing, name some of your favorite books. Like, right? <laughs> 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 I want to roll this back to International Jew. It just sounds like the lowest rung on a multi-level marketing ladder. The real money sounds like interdimensional monoatomic gold Jew. That sounds like the real money. You sign up 50 friends. That's right. Right. Now, there's an important wrinkle about his anti-Semitism that we need to dig into for this story. See, the typical formulation of the Nazi worldview is that Jews are secretly seizing key positions in banking, industry, and the media in an effort to control the world. And, like, that's a stretch for anybody, but it's all the more of a stretch for someone who is legitimately controlling the world, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? Like, if Jews were controlling all the powerful people in the world, they'd have to be controlling Henry Ford. Right? <laughs> how, how could Jews control finance if Henry Ford was a billionaire? And his solution, by the way, to that paradox was to tell himself that he had managed to outwit all of Judaism. <laughs> <laughs> all of Judaism? It's the perfect crime by Judaism, actually. That's pretty good. 
Just like when the lizard aliens let Hillary Clinton lose that one time. <laughs> yeah. It threw everybody off their scent, right? Oh, like now, yeah. now they're in the clear. Dumb. The world is actually run by a cabal of beta male cuck vegan liberals who control the food pyramid. <laughs> I literally read that a week ago online. I wanted to drown my children in the bathtub to save them from the future. <laughs> controlling the world, one of the main things that made Henry Ford so rich was that he controlled everything. So uh, most businesses call this vertical integration because <laughs> tyrannical <laughs> monopoly sounds way less complimentary. Core competency. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you. But, but basically, he owned every possible aspect of the production that he could, right? He didn't buy steel. He made steel. He didn't buy glass for his windshields. He made glass. The wood he used in his car, and he actually used a lot of wood in his cars back then, that came from forests that he owned and got processed in lumber mills that he owned and got shipped on railroads that he owned. His goal was to be able to build a car from scratch using only resources that he controlled. And one of the main reasons for that was that he believed the extent to which he was dependent on foreign trade was the extent to which he was vulnerable to the international the Jew. International Jew. Jew. Yeah. International Jew. International okay, Jew, question. Yeah. Was he cool with, like, you know, just local domestic Jewish people? <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be focused on the international thing. Yeah. So, in a country as resource-rich as the United States, Ford could damn near pull off full vertical integration, but there was one resource that eluded him. Rubber. Rubber, as we all know, comes from a tree. Apparently. <laughs> you know that? I know that I did know that mm -hmm. uh, rubber trees contain latex tires which is basically a sap that can be tapped and once it's collected it coagulates into clumps that get processed into the rubber that we know and love well some of us love it more than others Eli yeah. let's be fair <laughs> no kinds but those rubber trees can't grow in North American climate so Henry Ford still had to get his rubber from foreigners Mostly from Sri Lanka, which is not super Jewish, as I understand. No, <laughs> um, no. But as was proved in a court of law, Henry Ford didn't know that. So yeah, he came right. up with a solution. <laughs> rubber trees are actually native to Brazil. And for a long time, they supplied all of the world's rubber or almost all of it. But eventually, some enterprising explorers introduced them to the soils of the South Pacific and they took off. Not only was the soil way better for them, but there were also no natural predators. The fungi and insects that plagued them in the Amazon just didn't exist in Sri Lanka. So very quickly, most of the world's rubber shifted hemispheres. And Brazilians were kind of pissed about that because, damn it, rubber was their idea. So when Henry Ford showed up and was like, hey, if you let me set up a sovereign city in the middle of your jungle, I promise to revitalize your rubber industry, they were all ears. Needless to say, how'd that go? It didn't go great. Okay. Not great. No. Yeah, I think we need to uh, gird ourselves for the prequel of crazy racist conservative billionaire tries his hand at sovereignty. So let's take a break here. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Sadly, it doesn't end in a Spanish prison. <laughs> John McCaffey's dead. Mr. Ford, come in. Ah, Johnson. Uh, nope, nope. It's a pull door. Pull door. Oh, this 
that's the tricky one. Nope. It's tricky. Nope. It's just. It just. All you have to do is just. Just pull it. Just pull. Pull. The No. No. It's not. Make. Uh, Ford. Make a puppet with your hand. Done. Okay. Now bite the handle with its mouth. Okay. Now twist your hand. Like this. No, the other hand, Mr. Ford, the one that's holding the puppet, the one that's holding the door. Like this. The one that's holding the door. Like this. Yes. Now pull it towards you. Towards you. No, towards you. Towards you. No, towards you. Where's Henry at, Ford? I'm Henry. Pull the door towards Henry. Pull it towards Henry. There we go. Oh, how can I help you, sir? Just wanted to tell you once again that the international Jew has tried to foil us, but don't worry, I'm on the case. Nobody gets the better of Henry Ford. Glad to hear it, sir. Oh, door's broken again. No, it's okay. Left off, Henry was pretty pleased with his new prototype, the Ford Holocaust. Then he decided to um, branch out. Branch, rubber tree. Anyway, what happened to FBI? So, after a brief negotiation, pun. (laughs) So, after a brief negotiation with the Brazilian government, they agreed to give Ford Motor Company control of 5,500 square miles of Amazonian rainforest in exchange. For 9% of That's his... That's like 400,000 square miles yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> and they agreed to do that in exchange for 9% of his profits. And, and I want to point out, when I say control, I mean absolute sovereignty, right? The government basically allowed Henry Ford to be a law unto himself. And as shocking as that might seem to us, I mean, just try to imagine that today, say, Jeffrey Bezos wanted to move a big portion of his company to the Brazilian jungle, maybe to make his company's name make sense. I don't know. (laughs) Either way, imagine how many concessions he would probably wring out of the Brazilian government along the way. Or if if you can't imagine that, just imagine our current tax structure. (laughs) (laughs) Or Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. So Brazilians were by and large over the moon at the prospect of this rich U S industrialist moving any amount of his company to their country. They figured it would mean jobs, big infrastructure investments, and national prestige. Yeah, I mean, why would Bezos go to Brazil when he can get the same kind of concessions here in exchange for nothing? Literally nothing. <laughs> <Right>. Gives <laughs> us nothing. That old story is criminal. We don't have that exactly, except for Shell in Nigeria and Nestle on the Ivory right, Coast, yeah. and T-shirts yeah. in Vietnam. Anyway, I'm glad that's yeah. all over. We're not. <laughs> okay, now, dodged the a benefit to the consumer, Tom. Dodged a bullet. <laughs> provides liquidity. Okay, <laughs> now, <laughs> to be clear, Ford's goals in Brazil were twofold. Obviously, he wanted to secure a supply of rubber that he was in control of, but he also wanted to prove to the world that they should all live the way he thought they should. So, sure, Fordlandia was a rubber plantation, but it was also a sociological experiment. That could show the world how great everything would be if everybody just lived the way Henry Ford told them to. Jewlessly. Yep, exactly right. (laughs) In his own words. Now, this wouldn't be Ford's first attempt at creating a model city, I should point out. He had tried and failed to build a massive manufacturing city in Alabama called Muscle Shoals. And that failure came 
even sorry muscle yep. <laughs> muscle shoals and and that failure came even after the u.s government basically <laughs> gave him 45 million dollars worth of dam for five million bucks wow but it turned out it actually took more than damn near limitless power and henry ford's fortune to make northern alabama appealing mm, yeah. so never really <laughs> took off he also had a bunch of weird settlements in the upper peninsula of michigan where he would personally instruct children on antiquated dances and shit that he thought built character. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird fucking story. <laughs> Yogi Finoki swamps. Okay, so I'm just picturing <laughs> creepy white kids coming down this assembly line. <laughs> like, Lucy and Ethel eating this. <laughs> I told you that dream in confidence, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> So by 1927, Ford's people started arriving in this underdeveloped chunk of jungle and set about making a town of it. So as you can imagine, for a project this big, you're going to want to put somebody in charge that has experience and expertise in civil engineering, large-scale agriculture, or at the very least, you know, the management of large and complex undertakings. But Ford chose a guy with none of those things. In fact, Ford famously hated experts, so he refused to consult any of them in the construction of his rubber plantation. How, how do you hate experts? <laughs> okay, yeah, I keep hearing you say that. Drain the swamp, Mr. Ford. You keep saying that, but we need to actually drain the swamp, is what we're saying. You're doing a metaphor, but no, we need engineers to literally drain a swamp. You see the difference, right? Do the hand puppet for me really quick. <laughs> now punch yourself in the face no. with it. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of experts, Ford entrusted the management of his utopia to a guy named Willis Blakely, whose chief and apparently only qualification was that he worked for Ford's union busting group. So Henry trusted him. And Blakely was an amazingly bad choice. He managed to alienate a pretty solid chunk of the local population by being a drunken oath. He was staying in a town called Bellum when they were organizing everything, and Blakely got a reputation by renting a corner hotel room on the town's busiest street and fucking his wife against the floor-to-ceiling windows. <laughs> Caliente. That sounds downright neighborly to me, but... Uh, what do I know? Thank you, Noah. <laughs> what is that disqualifying now? Cancel culture has gone too right? far. Three votes. Jesus. Uh, Blakely was also famously corrupt. Ford never came to Brazil, and for a long time, nobody was checking his work. So Blakely was just embezzling money left and right. He also paid virtually no attention to sanitation during the initial phase of construction. So very quickly, he started losing a lot of people to malaria. But Blakely was far from the only person ensuring Fordlandia's failure. Henry Ford never actually went to Brazil, but that didn't stop him from micromanaging, and often in the dumbest ways possible. For example, rather than just shipping lumber and supplies to the new site, Ford shipped in these prefabricated houses that were all the rage at the time. But the houses he sent were designed for Michigan, not the Amazon jungle. They had tin roofs, for fuck's sake. So it was about a million degrees Fahrenheit in them at all fucking times. That's um, that's 555,537.8 Celsius for our international. <laughs> <laughs> the tin roofs. Henry Ford just got confused. He thought the hot tin roof would keep out fiddlers. Now he's gay and confused how this all happened. <laughs> Tennessee was. That's excellent. 
It also ended up mattering. What's another thing by Tennessee Williams besides that? Shit, I learned this last time you did this. Fuck. Gay guy. Madeline's. Yeah. It also ended up mattering that they didn't know anything about growing rubber trees. See, the whole reason rubber production moved away from Brazil is that the Amazon was filled with all kinds of pests that could target rubber trees. Specifically, these caterpillars that would fucking devastate them. In Sri Lanka, they could pack rubber trees into dense forests of nothing else. But in Brazil, you have to keep them really far apart or these caterpillars just fucking move from one to the other to the other. The same was true of a bunch of fungal infections as well. Needless to say, one crop after the other was lost. It's weird that racists only understand segregation in one context. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the social engineering that was somehow even more ham-fisted than the efforts at growing rubber. Ford decided on everything. He decided what kind of entertainments were and weren't allowed, including what kind of music. He instituted all kinds of prudish rules about dancing, including a manual that forbade all bodily contact except for the thumb and forefinger, which, quote, what? were to touch the woman's waist as if holding a pencil, end quote. <laughs> okay, cool. Also known as the fluffer's handjob invented <laughs> by Henry Ford. Fun fact. I bet James Cousins came up with it. I, I just imagine all the all the employees are erotically caressing their pencils to thwart the rules. What? This is how I hold a fucking pencil. It gets worse, though. Ford also decided what everybody would eat, which didn't go great. For reasons that aren't exactly clear, Henry Ford hated cows with a passion. What? Jewish ones are regular. So, like. There was no beef or dairy available to the people in the park. He also had an unnatural love for soybeans. At his home, he'd sometimes serve entire meals made from soy. Soy cheeses on soy crackers, soy protein, soy croquettes, all served with soy coffee. He even tried to make a... That's how I imagine you yeah. God, some soy stuff is good, but cheese, coffee? Get the fuck out of yeah, here. He even tried to make a car entirely out of soy, but he gave what? up. What? Yeah. He Sorry. gave up when he realized there was nothing he could do to keep it from stinking all to hell. <laughs> that was the problem? You know... The fact that we can make a dead animal carcass stink less than vegetables is a testament to our dedication to dead fucking animals. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> right? That's the catchphrase for my vegan restaurant, everybody. Needless to say, not all of his workers were thrilled with the idea of Ford choosing their meals, and it eventually led to a full-on riot. <laughs> no like, shit. There are plenty of good reasons for the employees to rebel, but the straw that broke the camel's back apparently was the shit menu at the employee cafeteria. <laughs> Amazing. There was a full-blown revolt at one point, called in the article the Quebois Panolet, or Breaking it. Pans, Whoa. thank you, that started in the cafeteria and led to a mob of employees setting fires, cutting telegraph wires, and chasing the cook out into the jungle where he had to hide for days <laughs> until the Brazilian <laughs> army showed up to quell the rebellion. And... Good. The riot didn't actually end until the company agreed to make some concessions on what kind of foods would be served in the cafeteria. Okay, this is uh, almost exactly what happened when Eli picked the diner for breakfast on our last trip to Chicago. Just, okay. Yeah. All of a sudden, me and Tom had war paint on our face. It escalated very quickly. Yeah, I feel bad about it now. You in guys retrospect. climbed that telegraph pole so fast. I'm just, I'm not even mad. I'm just impressed. Why did you have telegraphs going? That's... that's that, 
Kind it's of a Chicago you. thing, yeah. I still apologize. Look, man, I will agree to only touch a woman with my pinky finger and thumb or whatever, like a weird Puritan gang sign, but you assholes <laughs> better have bacon or this place is getting lit up. <laughs> right, though. No, I just, I love contrasting that attitude with all the assholes now that are like, well, yeah, I mean, the uh, police are killing unarmed people with no consequences, but that's no excuse to break windows. <laughs> <laughs> so on top of all the riots and the blights and corruption, and soy cheeses. They also had the general problem of being a bunch of fucking Midwesterners in the jungle. So this story is also filled with tropical diseases and heat stroke and those thin little fishes that swim up into your dick hole. And because it was <laughs> as much or more about the social engineering as the rupper, the crops had to fail a bunch of times before Ford was willing to declare it a failure and bring everybody home. <laughs> also, just a reminder, I did invent a tiny little... Dick bear that stands near the dick hole and swats away the little dick salmon. <laughs> I would like my generational wealth now, please. If you're looking for a, t- for a name for that, Heath, I'd go with Winnie the P. I think that would be a good name. For <laughs> In 1934, the Ford Motor Company withdrew and sold the area back to the Brazilian government for a pittance. In all, the company lost over $20 million huh. on the endeavor. Wow. And that's $20 million in 1934 dollars. Oh, wow. That would be over a quarter of a billion dollars today. Don't oh wow that shit. You wrote this, Noah. Come on. I don't oh wow this. <laughs> <laughs> and if you had to summarize what you learned in one sentence, what would it be? Rubber comes from trees. <laughs> <laughs> we did learn something. Are you ready for a quiz from the panel? I am ready. All right, Eli. I will admit I didn't know any of this about Henry Ford, and I'm a little embarrassed. So I did some more research. What other car manufacturers have horrifying backstories? A, Audi, Daimler, and Volkswagen all used concentration camp labor to build their products. Nice. Uh True. Uh, B, BMW took over Jewish-run businesses after the Jewish owners were stripped of their property. Nice. Or C, Tesla is still run by Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) Eli, what do you think the answer is? Oh, fucking ass. It's, uh, I'm just going to go with C. C is by far the worst there. That yeah, is for the sure. worst. The question wasn't about which one's the worst, but you, you answered it with anyway. my heart. Yeah. yeah. And rewrote go. the question. Good, good job. <laughs> you answered your question. Okay. I got one for you. Uh, what is the name of Henry Ford's biography? A. I know why the caged Thunderbirds sing. <laughs> Fantastic. So B. Home on the Ranger. <laughs> C. Life in the Bear Lane. Excellent. Or D. Seven Habits of Highly Effective Anti-Semites. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with D. Definitely D. It was definitely yeah. yeah. Everybody assumes. It, it was a bestseller for years. All right, Eli. Which of the following is the best name for Henry Ford's restaurant in Fordlandia? Is it A. Soy Rogers. That's the <laughs> Panera Bread Mame. <laughs> so That's thing. a good one. I like that one. <laughs> D. KKKFC. That's D. Fud Rikers. Fud Rikers. This is so good. It's Nazi. E. Bob's Proud Boy. Or Oof. F. Nuremberger King. Because <laughs> he's a Nazi. I'm going to go oh, with Secret so Answer good. G, Chick fil A. <laughs> <laughs> 
That is actually incorrect. I did not have a secret oh, answer going. Oh, oh nope. man, you're so close. Nope, so it was close, Bob's Eli, but a, but a Heath won. Heath won this week. Stumped you. And because I stumped you, I would like you to write an essay next week. Oh, you great. You asked for it. <laughs> All right. Well, for Tom, Noah, Eli, and Heath, I'm Cecil. Thank you for hanging out with us today. We'll be back next week. And by then, Eli will be an expert on something else. Asterisk. Between now and then, check out our our website for all of our shows. And if you'd like to keep help help keep this show going, you can make a per episode donation at patreon.com slash citation pod or leave us a five-star review everywhere you can. If you'd like to get in touch with us, check out past episodes, connect us on social media, or check the show notes. Be sure to check out citationpod.com. Almost got it. This one's a tricky one. Please, sir, it's it's 9 p.m. Here we go. Almost got her. Just need to figure out this knob door you were talking about earlier. You know what? I'm just going to take the window. Curse you, door juice!